Dear friend, a very happy new year to you and your loved ones. I can't believe how fast 2023 came and went. As I look back and reflect on the past 12 months, I'm so grateful for how much the podcast has grown. In 2023, I made the decision to publish one episode a week instead of two, and that's given me space to put even more effort into the show. I secured my first ever sponsor in 2023, the amazing people at Comparative Agility. So I want to thank them for believing in me and the show. We also hit a landmark milestone of 100 episodes, which was super special. I also got to present a talk at a conference based on my experiences from becoming a podcaster in which I shared my biggest lessons that have helped me grow from a professional introvert to being addicted to conversation. And we wrapped up the year on a high when I announced the BCS, who are the Chartered Institute for IT, have become my chief collaborators for the show, which means I'll be bringing exclusive interviews with their authors throughout 2024, and we'll be doing lots of regular book giveaways. But most importantly, I'd like to thank you for all of your support and kind words through your messages. I'm always blown away when someone comments on how an episode has helped them in a small way and learn something new. So that brings us on to 2024. Many of us will be thinking about new goals that we want to set ourselves. The other day, I saw a great reminder from Tim Denning, who has over 300,000 subscribers to his newsletter on just how important our health is. He said one of his biggest lessons of 2023 has been to take care of his body because you only get one. You either invest in your body now to keep it healthy, or you'll have to invest at a higher price later through hospital and medical bills. So I thought we'd kick off 2024 focusing on how we can stay even more healthy, but without getting too hung up on what we need to eat and dieting. So in this episode, I'm joined by Sherry Shaban, who is an extraordinary fitness and life coach who has battled back from the brink of paralysis to transform not only her body, but her entire outlook on life. Sherry has over 23 years of experience in the fitness industry and is a renowned expert and has helped thousands of people worldwide transform their health and fitness using her revolutionary method to rewire the brain, release self-sabotaging limiting beliefs and patterns, and falling in love with fitness so that weight loss becomes easy, predictable, and enjoyable. Sherry will challenge your conventional wisdom on dieting and fitness as we look at why diets fail and what you can do differently. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated, and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. So 
So just before we kicked off, Sherry, we were talking very briefly about how you don't believe in diets and you're anti-diet. And hey, I don't have anything against food apart from pineapple pizza. But what is wrong with dieting? Because it's a new year. Everyone's going to be thinking about their goals for 2024. And I'm pretty sure many of us who are feeling like we've overindulged during the Christmas period, the festive period, need to do some form of dieting. So why are you so anti-diet? I'd love to know. Well, I'm anti-diet because after being in the space for almost 25 years, you realize that it doesn't work, right? And maybe it works in the short time. Maybe it works while we're on it. But diets don't necessarily teach us anything. And then what we also notice is that those who are frequently dieting are always dieting and they're not achieving their results. And in fact, if you just observe their trajectory in the last years, if not decade, it's actually going in the opposite direction in which they are intending. And on top of that, dieting also creates what is called a scarcity mindset. So we start to view food very differently. And then because of that scarcity, because of that feeling of not enoughness, and of course, couple that with shame and guilt and a lot of self-value, we start to develop binge eating disorders or unwanted eating behaviors where we're overeating and we're tending to engage in this behavior that is quite irrational, illogical, and wasn't there before we started dieting. And so I know what you said, I love food and I could not agree more. I love food. And yet when we observe people with unwanted eating behavior who also say that they love food, well, they're eating this food so quickly. They're not even being mindful with the food. They're not even sitting with the food. And I'll tell you that when we love something, that's where we actually want to spend time with it. That's where we want to treasure it. And so food in our society has become a means of really controlling the way that you look, controlling your body, and shaming yourself through this whole process where you're wanting to look a different way or you're thinking that you should look a different way. And so that's from a psychological perspective. However, if you look at all diets, and especially those who've engaged in diets for years and again, decade, they're very confused about food. Because this diet says fats are bad, and then this diet says carbs are bad, and then this one says meats are bad. And so there's all this conflicting information. In fact, we have too much information, and we've just gotten so far away from that intuitive signaling, that real desire to know whether or not we are hungry or full, and what it is that actually our body is craving. Because the moment we start dieting, we no longer are listening to our body. We're following a meal plan. We're following this app that's telling us what to eat at what time. And we're not actually checking in with ourselves to see how we can actually be independent and start to allow the natural signaling of the body to be able to call for the foods that it needs. And so this also doesn't mean that you're going to eat as much pizza as you want and as much donuts as you want and that there's no impact. But what it actually means is if you allow your body to choose, it's always going to choose nutrients. And the body doesn't count calories as we have been told in society. Our body counts nutrients which is why if I would give you a bag of apples, let's say a two pound bag of apples, and then I would give you a box of Oreo cookies, it's so easy to finish a row or two of Oreo cookies. But then if you were trying to consume the entire bag of apples, you probably couldn't make it past three or four because your body again counts the nutrients. And so when we step away from diet culture and we really start to listen to our body and we start to allow for us to really enjoy the food and the pleasures of life, because that really is what food is. Food is the pleasure of life. What we start to notice is that there is no more scarcity mindset. 
there is no, I have to eat this all right now because on Monday my diet is starting. Or, damn, I, I had some carbs and I totally ruined everything. Well, I may as well just eat the entire box since I had one cookie. And so we get away from that type of thought process and instead get very comfortable around, first of all, being hungry and very comfortable also just knowing what is enough for our body and what our body actually needs. And so that's what I help athletes do. And I refer to all my clients as athletes because that's also a mindset. But that's what I help them do is to release the diet mindset. And instead of focusing on, for example, wanting to release 30 pounds, what I assist them in doing is helping them become the person who is 30 pounds lighter. And when you get to that place, you're no longer restricting food. You're no longer worried about weight. You're no longer fixated or obsessed even about how much you're eating, what you've eaten, and what the consequences of that is. And then your health and fitness journey just becomes so enjoyable, so lovable, so easy, so in flow. And more importantly, something that you can sustain where there's no this on the wagon and falling off the wagon and I'm on again and I'm back on and off again. How about we just find that place that feels right for us, which looks a little bit different for each person. And from that place, really just be able to live life and experience what's here for us instead of just focusing on food, body image and weight for the majority of our lives. I think from what you're saying, it's about developing that mindset for ourselves so that we're not just thinking about removing pieces of food from our diet. There's a whole lifestyle around that. And uh, those things are the things that are really important. So if I'm sat at home right now, what could be some small steps that I could take if I wanted to start living a more healthy lifestyle? So I absolutely understand the mindset aspects, but then on a practical level, what could be some simple things that I could try? So good. So I think the first place to start is to really get a very strong vision of what it is that you're wanting to move towards, because that can look different for each person. And, and what's important about that is that it really has to resonate with you. It has to excite you. It has to inspire you because the moment that you're connecting with something that you actually want to create, then all of the action that you'll take to move towards that is inspired action. It's not going to feel heavy. It's not going to feel like you're dragging yourself or punishing yourself through this to arrive at your goal, but instead you're going to lovingly guide yourself, listening to your body, allowing yourself to be flexible and adaptable and curious as you move to this place. And so that's the first thing is really get very clear around what it is that you want to move towards. And so this allows us also then to readdress what our goals are, because some of us have reserved our happiness or joy or feeling of success to a particular outcome. When I finally lose 30 pounds, then I'll be happy. When I finally have a six pack, then I'll be fit. When I finally get the guy, then my life will all fall into place, right? And so we have this in our society where we are told, thanks to marketing, thanks to the messaging that we get every single day, that life will only begin the moment we achieve this thing. But what we actually wanna do is inverse that. What we wanna do is start to feel into that right now so that we move towards that with inspired action. Because I've seen this so many times. It's not the weight loss that's gonna make us happy. It's not getting the guy that's gonna make us happy. It's, and it's not the six pack that's gonna make us happy. But what is gonna make us happy is loving ourselves on a daily basis, knowing that everything that we're doing for ourselves is a beautiful gesture of self-care and love. And we do it in a way that is honoring how we're feeling that day, knowing that it's not 100% every single day. It's not always the same 100%. And so that's the first step is really the vision. And from there, we start to reverse engineer around what that person's life looks like. 
So not what do I have to do, but what is that person being in their day-to-day life? And so one of the things that I oftentimes suggest to my athletes is if you don't know maybe how it may feel to be that person who's 30 pounds lighter, well, how about we find someone and we can model them? And that essentially means really asking a lot of questions, getting curious around what time do you wake up? What's the first thing you do in the morning? And do you walk? How is your training? What is it that you eat? How do you drink? What time do you go to bed? And all of these things that make up the being and not just the doing. And from there, I would suggest to start adding in one small habit at a time, knowing that it's always much more of a challenge to go from no walking at all, being completely sedentary to a five minute walk every single day than it is to go from a five minute walk to a one hour walk. So every little bit counts. And if we imagine our health and fitness being another one of our bank accounts and we just look at our deposits and withdrawals, we'll notice that a five minute walk is a deposit. Reducing one teaspoon of sugar in our coffee is another deposit. And this is really important because as we start stepping into the new year, what we tend to see is overnight, people are going from zero to 100. All of a sudden, I'm going to change everything that I do around how I eat. I'm going to hire a trainer. I'm going to work out five days a week. I'm never, ever eating dessert or sugar or carbs ever again. And by January 30th, I should probably get the body of my dreams and it should be that easy. And that's just so much to add in at one time. And so instead, what we want to do is apply the rule of addition first before subtraction when it comes to our habit, which means before I stop let's say, eating sugar or drinking alcohol or whatever it is that feels right for me, I'm actually going to start adding in positive habits first. So maybe I'll start a daily walking routine. Maybe I'll drink more water. Maybe I'll add more colorful food into each one of my meals. And then I'll slowly start to add on the next habit once I feel that I've mastered that first one. And by allowing yourself to do that, what you're actually doing is slowly accumulating the practice and the sustainability around committing to these habits. And then the last thing I'll say around this is really, again, harness that sense of curiosity. Try something out for, let's say, 28 days to see how it feels for you. Because if you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you can't stand broccoli and you're making yourself eat broccoli every day and you hate running, but you force yourself to go running every day, it's only a matter of time before you're going to get that point where it doesn't really feel enjoyable. So if you can make this enjoyable, if you're always honoring how you're enjoying your food and your movement, you're going to be able to create sustainability. And it's that sustainability and that consistency that actually drives results, not the intensity. Oh, I love that. You said a quote there and I am trying to recall it. Yeah. The rule of addition first before subtraction. Oh, I love that. I think that's great. And I'm trying to relate this back to my year in 2023. We bought a little puppy and uh, he's just turned about 12 months now. So he's about one years old. And I've been saying for ages to my family, I'm going to start jogging and I need to do it on a regular basis. And I would do it the odd week, maybe once a week, if that. And I have to say, little Milo, he's been fantastic because every day, pretty much for about eight months of 2023, I've without fail taken him for a walk. And that's that first step that you mentioned. And it, it does feel great because it's become a habit now. It's over a lunchtime period. I know that's what I've got to do. And 2024, I want to step that up a little bit and start to introduce some running. And I'm not saying I'm going to run every other day, but I want to try and take that next step towards that. So 
I think from what you're saying, that yeah. very much aligns with that. So I'm, I'm happy about that. That's really good. But then my diet still plays an important factor in the overall picture, because as you mentioned, if you're going to still eat tons of donuts all day, that's not a good either. So could you give some nutritional advice, just common sense, general advice for just healthy living and healthy eating? So good. I love this question. And then I just want to add to maybe a little tip to maybe anyone listening who's also interested in starting running. And so the greatest way to start running is first start by walking and just build that practice of getting outside and consistently committing to yourself and showing up for yourself. And then when you feel ready and you've built up to, let's say, 30 minutes or an hour of walking and you feel comfortable around that, then maybe even start with intervals such as one minute of running and then three minutes of walking. And then just wait until you master that, until that starts to feel easy for you. And then you can start to increase your running interval and then decrease your walking time. And that could look different for each person. It could be one minute on, five minutes off. That's totally fine. Just find what maybe makes sense for you. And then before you know it, you will be running continuously. And then I'm going to also reach out to you probably in around February-ish to, to make sure that you're doing it. Okay, so so talking about nutrition is a beautiful topic because... I think we sometimes don't really understand how the majority of the food that is presented to us in our grocery store is not real food. It's actually food-like substance. And so the one sort of basic general rule that I would have around nutrition is as much as you possibly can, okay, not 100% because there's no 100%, but eat more of the way that maybe your grandparents ate and their grandparents and less of the way that maybe food is presented to us today. And what also is really important to note is we don't eat foods just because of caloric density or caloric value, as again, we're told in diet culture, we're told that energy in equals energy out. But again, as mentioned earlier, our body doesn't count calories, it counts nutrients. And so as you start to eat more whole foods, so whole foods really are foods that are as original as possible in their natural form. It's like the way that they came from nature. There wasn't all of these steps that had to happen in order for it to arrive at our plate. But you're going to start to notice that the more you eat that type of food, the more you eat whole food, and then the less you eat processed foods or man-made foods, you're actually going to start to notice an impact in your energy. You're going to notice an impact in your vitality. You're going to notice that your sleep is better. You're going to notice that your mood is regulated. You're going to notice that you don't have that mid-afternoon slump. You're going to notice also, more importantly, and this is a really great sign of health, is how you're eliminating. So you'll be able to go to the washroom more frequently. You're experiencing less bloating, less, less digestive issues, no constipation, things like that. And so when it comes to nutrition, if we can really just suggest and allow ourselves to eat more natural foods, try to be as diverse as possible in colors, try to almost imagine like you're eating the rainbow in every single meal and give your body that first before you have something that maybe your body is not really recognizing so much. So what our body doesn't always recognize is the processed food, the man-made food, the chemicals, the preservatives, all of those things that are in there. And again, it's not to create fear around those foods. I eat cake and I love to enjoy a nice big piece of red velvet mascarpone cake with berries when it's my birthday. And so that's not something I'll ever give up. However, what I do notice is when I eat too much of that, I wake up the next morning feeling a little bit swollen. As I mentioned, I've had surgery on my back twice, so I will feel some back pain. I will feel notice some bags under my eyes. And those would be the reasons why I would move away from 
consistently introducing those types of things in my diet versus to focus on whole foods. So if I focus on whole foods, I wake up feeling energized. I wake up with so much energy and vitality. I'm prepared for my workouts. It helps me also recover really well from workouts. And so when you start to focus on food in terms of how it makes you feel versus what the scale is telling you and what your app is telling you in terms of macros and calories, it really is a game changer. And we feel more relaxed around food. And that's how we start to tap back into that intuitive ability and those intuitive messages that our body's always giving us. Oh, thank you for that. That's such great advice. And it got me thinking, my mum during the summer of 2023, she went out and bought one of these smoothie makers and she just was super excited about it. And she kept making smoothies for us every other day. And I then read up a little bit about smoothies and what I read alarmed me because the advice was don't drink smoothies because what we're doing is we're taking all the, all the sugary parts of the fruit and we're pretty much removing all of the goodness. And then we're just having a shot of that. What's your views on smoothies? Because I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I would agree with what you just shared. And there's a lot of work that we do really to break down our food. And, and digestion actually starts the moment we look at our food or smell our food or finally put food in our mouth. And so there's all these enzymes released and there is all of, of these gastric juices that help us break down our food. But then also mechanically, we're putting in work to digest the food. We chew the food, we break it down, we bring it to our body's temperature, and then we continue to further break that down. And so whenever we drink our meals in a liquid form, what essentially we're doing is removing all that work away from the body. And so it's natural that we chew. It's natural that we even take our time to consume food, whereas a smoothie, you can down that in 30 seconds, right? And so there's something called the thermogenic effect of feeding that essentially means for every meal that we eat, let's say our app tells us that it's going to be a 500 calorie meal. Well, a percentage of those calories are actually used just to break down the meal. And so we notice that when we have liquid meals, it allows the body to absorb everything really quickly, especially sugar. And yes, sugar in fruit is completely natural and it's great for us, except it's an unnatural form in any case to be drinking our meals. And I like to always bring it to, okay, if I was stuck on a desert island and all I had access to was what was around me, what would be the most natural way for me to consume food? Right. It wouldn't be through a juicer. It wouldn't be through a blender where I would be drinking my foods and it wouldn't be adding protein powders and collagen powders and all these things. Right. Because, again, we're, we're getting away from what is actually natural to us. And so you'll notice that if you actually allow yourself to consume that food that was in a blended form instead of drinking it, you're going to notice that you actually feel more satisfied and you feel more full. And you also enjoy your food more because you get to spend more time with your senses with that food. And they say your gut is your second brain. Yes. Could you give us more insight on that? And why is that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for several reasons. So we have actually what is called the gut microbiome that helps us digest our food. And it doesn't only help us digest our food, but it also helps regulate hormones for us. It helps to upregulate certain enzymes that are required. And essentially, the more diverse our food is, the more diverse this bacteria is, which means the more different types of food we can actually digest and break down. 
without this gut microbiome, we can't actually break down our food. We can't actually absorb the nutrients. We can't actually bring it down to smaller compounds that we could actually absorb and utilize properly in the body. And so because of the intricate relationship between the gut microbiome and the brain, there is a cost of signaling happening. And that's also where we start to experience hunger or craving for certain things. So if the majority of my diet is consistent of, let's say, processed foods and sugars, well, what I've done is I've helped breed and grow the bacteria that loves to eat that and basically lives off of that. And so those are the signals that I will be receiving from my brain to tell me to go get more of that food. So that's one of the reasons. And then the other reason, too, is because the majority of our serotonin is produced in the gut. So serotonin is our feel-good hormone. And when everything is calm in the gut, when we are in parasympathetic, when we are allowed to rest and digest, when we, there is no inflammation in the gut because we're not eating anything that's creating inflammation, then we have high levels of serotonin. And then that's where we experience joy and peace and calmness. And so you'll imagine then if, if we're eating a very destructive diet and by destructive, destructive to the gut microbiome, we're going to notice that our mood is affected. We're going to notice that we're cranky and maybe we're angry and maybe we're irritated and maybe we're stressed. And then, of course, couple that with a signal of danger in the body. We're going to trigger the fight or flight nervous system, which is also called sympathetic nervous system which essentially is going to shut down that area in the body and then impact the serotonin levels and, of course, impact our mood as a side effect. Is sugar worse or fat? Ooh, worse. What does worse mean? Maybe let's define the word worse. What does that mean? Or which is worse for your health? So if you want to stay healthy, then mm. should I reduce more of the sugar or more of the fat? This is a really great question. And, and the reason why I, I brought awareness more to the word worse and better is because when we look at our food and we're saying this is good and this is bad and therefore I'm good if I eat this and I'm bad if I eat that, it starts to again impact our nervous system, which is really the cascade that drives the unwanted eating behavior and the self-sabotage. And so there is no worse. What I will actually say for each person is, again, listen to your body. If you notice that when you consume a large amount of sugar or any sugar at all and start looking for signs that impact your sleep, that impact your energy levels, that even maybe start to bring up pain in the joints, you start to feel swelling, you start to feel inflammation, then you know that perhaps the way you're reacting to sugar is not in, in a way that's really serving you. And so the same thing with fats too. We may have certain people that are able to tolerate. And, and by the way, when we're talking about sugars and fats, I'm going to just clarify in just a moment that they're not all equal. But let's say when it comes to a meal that's higher in fats or heavier in fats, also, again, start to gauge in terms of how is that making me feel? And what is my elimination like? Is that giving me diarrhea or constipation? So the more you look for the signs that your body is giving you, the more you get that answer. And then finally, sugars and fats are not bad or good. However, there are man-made versions of that do not serve us. And that's where I would say, just notice that. Be curious around what your personal limitations are in terms of how your body is reacting to that. So sugar, of course, coming from fruit is not the same as sugar coming from high fructose corn syrup. And fats coming from avocado is not the same as hydrogenated fats or, let's say, processed fats that we find in our potato chips or other foods that is in the grocery store that require more stabilization in terms of shelf life. And so 
I hope that answers your question a little bit more and then also allows us again to be more curious around what is more whole food and what is maybe more man-made or processed food. Sherry, I'd love to know any further resources that you'd recommend for anyone who wants to go deeper on this topic and any resources that you can offer as well from the fantastic work that you're doing and how people can get in touch with you. Thank you so much for for that. It's been such a beautiful conversation that we had together. And one thing I will say that the most powerful, I believe, sort of strategy to better understand yourself is through more understanding your personality type, your character type. And if you know who you are, if you really are so in touch with your true being, the answers start to come. And I know it's a little bit inverse from maybe what we hear and we're wanting a little bit more accountability books and personal development books and more science-based books, but really getting to know yourself and what feels like just resonates with you and what feels also like like just better understanding yourself so that there is no more judgment, there is no more shame, and then there's overall acceptance, then that would be the most powerful tool. And I'll say meditation helps that and spirituality helps that. And one of the greatest and most powerful books, I think, that really shaped my life and also helped me get through a very tough time in my life when I lost my mom was The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And this really helps us get into understanding that voice in our head, that voice that's constantly telling us, not to do stuff or what we are capable or not capable of doing. And that also that voice that creates all the stories that we actually see in our life, which we believe and which we end up living by. And so getting to know yourself is really the great place to begin your journey. And then I will also offer you some of my free resources. I've got a podcast called Fall in Love with Fitness, where we talk more around these conversations. So if you've liked what we spoke about today, this is what you would expect to find on the podcast, of course, available on all platforms. And then if the topic around anti-diet and really uncovering unwanted eating behavior resonated with you and you notice that you're in a space where you've been struggling maybe with your weight or your health for so long and feeling that it's a discipline issue or a motivation issue, then first and foremost, I'll tell you that it's not at all the case. It's actually a nervous system issue. And if you're looking for more resources around that, I do have a free workbook that I share on makepeacewithfood.com where you can start to work through some of these habits that you're engaged in. And then again, more importantly, better understand what's really at the root of the issue. And it's not around the food and the weight and around, again, the motivation discipline, which is what diet culture has unfortunately always fed us. Oh, and thank you so much for that, Sherry. We'll put the links in the show notes as well so people can easily find your amazing website. And uh, Sherry, I want to thank you. This time has flown. I could talk to you about this for hours and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show if that's okay. But yeah, really appreciate you making the time today. I would love that. I really enjoyed this today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please do connect with me via LinkedIn and drop me a message and let me know your favorite takeaways from the episode. Also, Don't forget to subscribe to the Superpower School newsletter so that you can be notified of all future episodes. Simply visit the website www.superpowers.school. Thank you once again.